0: I want to say something before I I jump into the message. I I want to talk to you today about when the lines get blurred. And I, I just want to say to you, though, that there's pastors, when we stand to speak on this subject, are well aware of the fact that we just can't unload the whole pickup truck of information with you. As much as we love to do that, it's just impossible to do it. And one of the things I loved about Pastor Shane's message last week is it was so sensitive to the fact that, you know, when we talk about our sexuality, we're talking about the most intimate thoughts and feelings and experiences that we have as persons. And we're well aware that there, you know, every person in here, uh, our sexuality evokes a, a range of feelings with us. For some, guilt or shame or fear or rebellion or uh, hurt, anger, disillusionment, confusion. I mean, we could go on and and, on and what I want you to understand is it is impossible for us to speak on this subject and not hurt or offend everybody in some way. And so just understand that what we're doing is trying to take God's word and open it up to see what our Creator tells us about this important area. And I wanna do that with you today. I wanna talk to you about what happens when the lines get blurred. And one of the things that we wanna do in this series is just to show you some great passages that teach about our sexuality. And one of them is 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And uh, I've reproduced it on your notes If you want to just look at it there, it's coming up on the screen, or you're, of course, welcome to open your Bible. Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica. He says this, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as, in fact, you are living. But now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, it is God's will for you that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, he explained the word sanctified there. It means that you grow into the image of God yourself, that you begin to take on the characteristics of your creator, that you become holy like he is holy. That's what he's describing here. And he says that you avoid sexual immorality. Now that's a general word, the word immorality, in the Greek language of the New Testament was written, and it's the word pornea. Pastor Shane pointed this out last week. It's a Greek word from which we get our word porn. And so what he says is it's God's will for you in becoming like he designs you to be for himself that you avoid misusing your sexuality and pornea that each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Pastor Shane talked about this last week. And by the way, the word pagan there isn't meant to insult anybody. It's a technical religious term in the days of the Bible, and it means people who don't know anything about the, the true and living God. And what he says is, you know, that the way of the world about this is just to, Man, go for it. Indulge your passion and your lust. But there's a difference between lust and the love that you were created by God to be able to experience and to show. Lust is a desire to take for myself. Love is the desire to give for the greatest needs of somebody else. And so he says, this is one of the differences that needs to be in your life, and that in this matter, verse four, and verse six, he goes on to say, that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. For the Lord will punish all who commit such sins. As we told you and we warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, last week, Pastor Shane did a great job of setting the context for this series. That what God says is, is that he designed sexuality as an incredible gift to humanity. But he also directed that it be kept within the boundaries, kept within the protection and the security of a loving relationship he planned called marriage. And what he's saying is all sexual expression outside of that boundary is gonna have negative consequences in our lives. And so Shane talked about that we wanna live lives of sexual purity. And again, this is another passage that's calling us to do that very thing. Now, I realize that today, the idea of purity is about as exciting to some people as watching paint dry. But I wanna say to you, uh, in fact, I love how the Oxford Dictionary, when it defines purity, it it uses two words. It has two entries, and it uses both words both times. It begins by saying, it's freedom from. Freedom from. And what God says purity is about, is it's about freedom from the consequences of the misuse of this valuable gift that God has given us. Now, what happens though when we're living in a day where the lines of morality are getting blurred and we're living in that day. I probably don't even need to explain this to you but I'm going to anyway because if I've done all this research this week and I need to, to do this. This is part of what I do. And, uh, and I just want to say uh, that this, the message this morning, we're going to spend a lot of time on this first page before we turn the page, but don't sweat it. It looks like I have a whole bunch more stuff to do in the middle, but we'll, we'll hit those quicker because they will make sense in light of what I'm going to talk about on the first page, okay? Where are the lines blurred today? Four, four areas I want to tell you about in this sentence, and I'll give you these four things one at a time to make it easier for you to write them down. First of all is the area of gender identity. Now, Scripture teaches us clearly in the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning, that God created male and female. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And God says those two genders are designed, when they come together, to express the fullness of what his image is really like. And the Lord Jesus himself picked this up much later, a 1, 1,500 years later, in teaching about marriage in Matthew 19, and he referred to that passage, and he said, at the beginning, the Creator's intent was for male and female, whom he blessed to become husband and wife and one flesh. But you're aware of the fact that today, this whole idea is being questioned. In fact, today, we're having to get used to terms like, you know, cisgender and non-binary genders. In fact, you become used to the, you know, the, our our whole uh, series art, I think, has on it the LGBTQ+. I remember when it used to just be LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual. And then it became LGBT, transgender persons. Then it became LGBTQ. That stands for queer or questioning their sexuality. And then it became LGBTQI for intersex, which is people who were born with something of of the genitalia of both male and female. Then it became LGBTQ. You you see where I'm going here? And so now we just do LGBTQ+. Do you see what I'm saying? That the lines here have become very, very blurred. And one of the things that... uh, that we're having to especially get used to are these terms, like people can transition from the sex assigned at birth to, to a new sex. And I want to tell you that even using that language, we've already begun to swallow deception. Because what it means is, is that it's a doctor who assigns my sex at birth based on my sex characteristics. And I want to say to you, the doctor doesn't assign your sex, God assigns your sex, And even someone who truly is born with intersex characteristics, that's by design. God knew about your life. And he he knew you're living in a broken world and that that aspect of your sexuality might be somewhat broken, but he still planned for you. He still cared about you. And he still has a purpose and a plan for you. And today it's become confusing because, especially as people transition, they're using pronouns to describe themselves. And you better use the pronoun they use, or some of you can lose your job over it. You know what I'm talking about here? In fact, I have to tell you, you know, a, a, a little while ago, somebody was with me in a public place and they just asked me this innocent question. They said, Hey, how has your transition gone? And all of a sudden, all these heads turned, you know. And I was tempted just for a moment to put on my best falsetto voice to answer, and by then,, ah, I probably shouldn't do that. because uh, they were talking about my transition from senior pastor to founding pastor for those of you who didn't catch what I was talking about, you know. Gender identity is getting blurred. Sexual mores, that's the second area. Now, sexual mores has to do with the societal norms that we pick up in our in our socialization as persons because they're the norms that our society accepts. And my goodness, we have, I have lived through, over the last 50 years, a sexual revolution that has incredibly changed those norms. In fact, sociologists tell us there's, there's three main factors to the, to the rapid revolution of sexual societal norms and mores sexually, and that is the pill and pornography It's become very accepted and the internet because now at the touch of fingertips, anybody can access virtually anything they want sexually in our world and it's changing our mores big time. In fact, one of the ways this has changed just in in the last 50 years that I've observed is the prevalence of people cohabiting, living together before marriage. Today, six out of 10, 18 to 44-year-olds have lived outside of marriage with at least one partner, uh, many of those more than one. This is very, very different. And we're living in a day where, where adultery is no longer considered always wrong. In fact, you want to shock yourself, go home and Google uh, Sites where you can find hookups to commit adultery. And I, you know, I put that in and researching for the message and up came about three or four listings for the, you know, the 15 top affair apps that you can put on your phone. This is changing what's going on in America. And it's changing everybody in this process of socialization. I'll never forget that my daughter Lauren, who uh, when she was in about second grade one night uh, you know, we're sitting at the dinner table and we're talking about the future and she started talking about future plans and she just mentions in passing that, uh, well, yeah, then, you know, my boyfriend and I will probably move into an apartment together, da 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 and, you know, it's like I just about choked. And I put down my fork and I looked at her and I said, oh, sweetheart, I sure hope that's not a decision that you'll make because there are some very negative consequences that come along with that kind of decision and God just has something better in mind for you. I hope you won't do that. Now, she was in second grade. And we didn't teach that to her, but she picked it up. And this is affecting, of course, marriage and the family. Big time. You know, in 1970, when I was getting started in ministry, 80% of those between the ages of 25 and 34 were married. Today, it's 40%. Half the number. And it's because of the easy hookup. Really, I I don't need to marry. And that's having tremendous, tremendous impact on children today. And of course, you're well aware that in the last 10 years, same-sex marriage has become law in America And, you know, that is changing things incredibly. And then the fourth thing I'll mention is what I call responsible consent and guidance. And what I mean by that is it used to be that you as a parent had the sole control of the kind of guidance and consent that your child could have to engage in certain behaviors having to do with their sexuality, especially having to do with their sexual identity, But that's not true today because government is empowering schools to assume that they know better about your child's sexual health than you do. You may not be aware of the fact that in 2018, California passed a law that says that if you're 12 years of age, you can seek out gender transitioning treatments without your parents' knowledge and consent. Did you know that? And it's amazing. You know, you've got to be 18 to get a tattoo. You have to be 16 to drive, but you can alter your life forever at age 12. And your parents could be totally oblivious that someone's giving you those kinds of treatments. That's a scary thing. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. And in fact, this is now being taught in our schools, this this whole thing of you you can figure out what your gender identity really is going to be. In fact, uh, I happen to notice the Fresno Bee had a showing, it's coming up on the screen, a list of a 1,000 books that were being devoted to Fresno Unified that were celebrating gender identity for kids as, as young as kindergartners that could be read in classrooms and so forth, and Uh, donated by a group called Gender Nations. And I want you to notice their theme at the top, open books, open hearts, open minds. The idea being, let's teach these kids from the very beginning to just be open to all of this change that is here. Now, here's the new phenomena it used to be that we viewed these behaviors as a problem. But today, we view the disapproval of those behaviors as the problem. That if you don't fully embrace everything I've just described to you, there's something wrong with you. You're a bigot. You're uninformed. You're homophobic. You're transphobic. But I want to say to you, Notice what God's word says in Isaiah 520. It says this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And I wanna, I wanna say to you that um, that's, that's happening in our day. You know, I could, I could set a stack of books this tall of sociological studies that have been done on the, the health of the biological family that stays intact. Mom and dad living in the home with their kids for the entirety of their growing up years and how healthy that is. And in fact, when you begin to deviate, even in the slightest way, there are predictable declines in well-being that are measurable and will increase for every deviation you move away from, from that biological family. Things such as depression, suicide, high-risk behavior, and so forth. It's incredible what's there. Now, why as a society would we not be holding that in the highest light to bring the greatest health to our children? But instead, if you hold to that view, you're hateful. Are, Are you all catching what I'm talking about here? Woe to those who call evil good. By the way, what is evil in Scripture? Here's an easy way to remember it. It's evil is the word live spelled backwards. Evil is when we try to do life by a standard that is backwards to God's standard. And he calls it evil because he knows it's going to have negative consequences in people's lives. Real people's lives. In fact, the word woe there does not mean woe because God's going to get you. Uh, It's a word that means woe because these things are going to bring consequences and pain into your life. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. In other words, they try to put darkness in the best light possible, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a phrase of putting lipstick on a pig They try to make something that's bitter look as sweet as it possibly can. But God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because you're bringing danger into your life. I love this sign that I happened to see that was on a a farm, uh, a ranch. It says, warning, don't cross this field unless you can run it in nine, nine seconds because our bull can do it in 10 flat. And uh, isn't that great? Now, if every time God said, now, folks, here is why I've told you don't do this. You know, maybe more people would obey it, but we're those people that if you just say, warning, don't cross this field, you guess what you want to do? I'm going to go right across that field. And what I want to say to you is when the lines are blurred, it creates incredible confusion. There is a confusion factor that we are living with today that is amazing, and it is because... The minority, the minority is dictating how the majority must view things and must live. Now, show you some statistics here. Consistent studies have shown uh, that the LGBT community, Q, however many you want to add, makes up between three and five and a half percent of the general population. Now you'll hear people say, oh, that's not true, it's much higher than that. But studies have shown consistently over and over, nah, it's really, it's about three to five and a half percent. And here's how it breaks down as you see it. About 40% of those are bisexual. 36% are gay men. 19% are lesbians. And about 5% are transgender. Now, I, I just, I just want to put this in perspective that we're talking about a very small you know, 95% of us don't fit in that category, but the 95% are having to be told they've got to change their views and their behaviors about all these things so as to not offend the 5% and make life harder for them. You know, I remember when the Americans' uh, Disabilities Act was passed, and it was a good thing because it made the accommodation of people with severe disabilities, people in wheelchairs and so forth, easier for them to access things. But but imagine if the ADA had said that, you know, because persons with disabilities can't use stairways, nobody else will be able to do that. We're gonna destroy all stairways. Would that make sense? I got to thinking about that, you know, there's about 10% of you out there that are left-handed. Let's hear it for all the left-handed people. Yeah, yeah. About 10% of you. You were born that way, you can't help it. But you know, you live in a world that benefits right-handed people, do you not? Can I get a witness to that? Yeah, you notice it. We right-handed people don't, but you guys notice it. It, Things as simple as, you know, like how I button my shirt, it's much easier to do it right-handed than it is to do left. Can I point out another one? I hope this doesn't seem too silly, but these flaps over our zippers that we have, okay? Not to get too personal here. Those favor right-handed people, do they not? Well, hey, we've been doing it that way way too long. It's time to turn the tables of justice. Why don't we outlaw those flaps benefiting the right-handed people and let that put them the other way so that the left-handed people can have it a little easier to raise and lower? Can I get some wokeness here on that, you know? (laughs) you see what I'm talking about? This is insanity. It cannot be sustained. And I think it's part of what's driving us to a pushing people to their corners. The thing I'm most concerned about the confusion is how it influences the development of young lives. Because you see this passage that we've read in First Thessalonians? Here's what Thessalonians says. The way you live sexually shapes you. It molds you. And we understand especially that young lives are shaped by their earliest sexual experiences. And there's a curiosity and sometimes a pushing of the boundaries that children very easily can get into experiences that Leave them feeling with the feelings that some of you have this morning when we talk about this subject, that you wish you could go back and undo. And when you've consistently raised this blurred standard and praised it as something that's good and healthy and noble, my friend, you can do damage to lives. and it's having an effect on our culture in fact let me show you some statistics on this there's a there's a survey done in Britain with like 150,000 people about every 10 years they do it it's called Natsex and one of the questions they've asked uh, since 1990 was have you ever had a same-sex experience of any kind now this could be like smooching in the dark that's considered an acceptable you can you can report it and And here's what they found in 1990, 4% had, by 2000, 10% had, by 2010, 16% had. Last year, COVID kept them from doing it. They haven't released the figures this year, got postponed for a year, but it's going to be higher. Why would it not? Because if we know that people push the boundaries for bisexuality more than they do for exclusively gay or or lesbian, and there's a tiny percentage of the transgenders. Why would that not begin to influence? We know that it changed our mores with heterosexuals. In fact, it has been released that Gallup found this uh, this year, just released in February, that one out of six Gen Z group, especially the older. The oldest of them, 18 to 23, one out of six, now says they're LGBTQ. That's about 16 percent. And notice that 72 percent of them say they're bisexual. There's a, there's a whole lot of experimenting and bouncing the boundaries here. And Philip Hammack, who's a professor at USC or UC Santa Cruz, the director of Gender Diversity Lab there, says, "This is extremely exciting." Because the rigid lines around gender sexuality are just opening up for everybody. I want to ask some questions Is that a healthy way of life? In the printing of these books and trying to say to young people, this is a healthy, good way to go, are you telling the truth? Because this minority sexually of people are three to five times more likely to be depressed. They're three to five times more likely to attempt suicide. Especially gay men and bisexual men are really at risk of sexually transmitted infections. And I just wonder, are you going to tell the truth about that side? The woe that God says happens when you break. And what you're told is, well, that's why we need to change the rest of our attitudes because if we just change all of our attitudes, those people wouldn't be so suicidal. That's a crock. Do you know that those who go ahead and pursue transgender treatments and even surgery have the same high rate? In fact, for some of them, it goes up of suicide ideation. Because you can change your body, but you can't change the person that's on the inside. Have I made the point about what happens when we get blurred? Now I told you we're gonna hit the, the gear and move quick. Some of you are saying, holy cow, you still got all the inside to do. Yeah, before we get there, look at what God says in Isaiah 48. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your well-being like the waves of the sea. I like how one translation puts that last phrase. It says, good things would have flowed to you like waves of the ocean. Now, before we turn the page, I want you just imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine. Imagine if the whole world had followed God's design for sexuality. Imagine how your life would feel different if you had. Just imagine with me now. The whole world what would we have avoided if we'd done it? I just made a list. Let me write them down. No broken marriages as a result of adultery. The porn industry would not exist with its objectifying and exploiting, especially young lives. No sex trafficking. No minors would be abused sexually. No rape. No sexually transmitted infections. That means HIV AIDS wouldn't be an issue for us today. No unwanted pregnancy births outside of wedlock. We know, by the way, that's a huge, a huge contributor to poverty for women and children. Wouldn't be there. And I'd add, probably about 600,000 abortions that happen every year would not happen. I just wanna ask you, do you see the woes? Here's what I wanna say before we turn the page. Would you write this down, friend? You're loved by God despite your failures, your struggles, and your brokenness. Because I realize I've already touched some people that are really hurting by things that I'm saying because of your sexual past. And I wanna say to you, is you know what? No matter where you find yourself today, you are loved by God. He sees your failures, He knows your struggles. He knows your brokenness and he loves you, and he doesn't love some fake you that you present to other people. He knows the real you. He knows your heart. He knows the you that he made for himself, the you that he loved and offered his song across. Jesus loved you in the worst of your shame. That's the you he loves, not a fake you. So, how do we keep the clearly drawn lines clear? A guy named G.K. Chesterton once said, Morality, like art, consists in drawing a line somewhere. <laughs> and thankfully, God's already drawn the lines for us, and they're very clear. But how do we keep those clear? Let's write these down fast, and you'll see why we can touch these. Number one, don't forget whose you are and whom you serve. See, we read 1 Thessalonians 4 because it puts it in perspective and says, you know what, we're living to please God. You belong to the Lord Jesus. Your body isn't yours, it's his. Your sexual partners aren't yours. Those are persons that really belong to him. And that's why he says, you better treat them with respect. And 1 Thessalonians tells us we're to be careful with sex, not because it's dirty, but because it's so holy. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is Jesus, says this, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came down and the streams rose. You see, you're gonna deal with pressure and problems in life, no matter which house you are. But the one beat on the sand, built on the sand, notice what happened. It came down with a crash. So write this down. Stay off shifting sands and stabilized in God's word. That's how you keep the lines clear. 1 Thessalonians says it's by the authority of the Lord Jesus that we're telling you. And the person who rebels against this isn't just rebelling against the idea of a persons, of men, but of God. Now who do you depend on to give you truth? Social media? Or the wokeness crowd? Or the diagnostic crowd? Uh, Statistical Manual of the American Psychological Association or God's Word. Would you read this next verse aloud with me? Proverbs 21.30, let's read it. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord because you're living backwards when you try. Now sometimes I hear people, they'll ask me, well, do you think Christianity can survive because of all these changes? Oh, absolutely, the kingdom of God is gonna outlast everything. The kingdom of God is gonna outlast the internet. It's gonna outlast Facebook. It's gonna outlast America. The real question is, how long can a society last that tries to jettison these things that the Creator has put down for us, for our good? Number two, don't ever settle for less than you should. Oh my gosh, I meet people all the time, women especially, who settle for less than you should. You're living beneath your privilege because friends, you are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And he says, I know what's best for you. And I want you to go my way. Don't ever settle for less than you should. By the way, no one can regulate your sexuality but you. And if someone is, let us help you get out of that environment. Because that's not the way God created you to be coerced and manipulated and used. Psalm 85, 8 to 10, says this I will listen to what the Lord God says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation, the word salvation here means his deliverance, is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Now what you want is you want those four qualities, love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace to embrace and kiss in your life. Don't settle for anything less. Never surrender future well-being for the quick pleasures of the present moment. That's the most profound thing I can say to you about sexual temptation, my friend. Never surrender future well-being for the quick pleasures of the present moment. There is a moral insanity to pornea that says only focus on the now, right now. And I'm telling you, you want to make the kind of decisions you're going to be glad you made someday in eternity. They'll pay off. You know, I was so touched, just hit my heart, went home last week. And my wife said to me, we were talking about Shane's message, what a great job that he did. And she said, oh, Steve, I'm so glad we've been spared the sexual wreckage that people have had to endure. Some of you who are my friends. And I can tell you, there was a time in my life I wondered, yeah, is it worth it to really live this way? Maybe I am missing out on, you know, you only go around once, so go it with gusto. I want to tell you, after being married 40 uh, three years (laughs) love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss nothing is worth that in place for me number three don't be afraid to live in a way others will not And that's gonna be required because there are other people who are gonna ridicule your way of life and say it's archaic and behind the times and they'll try to shame you into silence by insulting you and telling you you're a bigot or you're homophobic or whatever phobic. Don't be afraid to live in a way others will not. You know, I'm kind of stealing from here Financial Peace University's motto where Dave Ramsey says, if you're willing to live today like most people won't, you'll be able to live someday like most people can't. And what he means by that is if you'll you know, do a cash and watch out for debt and you'll live with discipline today like most people aren't willing to do, someday you're gonna be able to live in a way most people can't live. And I wanna tell you the same thing is true sexually. And there are people, even Christians sadly, who will not follow this way. In fact, 2 Timothy 4 says this, There will come a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they're self-centered and they will turn their back on the truth and they'll turn to what? Myths. False ideas. Isaiah 35, 8 and 9 says this. A highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness and it will be for those who will walk on that way. This is what God says. I got a way plan for you. If you're willing to walk it, I, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ronnie taught on the parable of Jesus about the man who threw a banquet and he sent out these invitations and everybody had these lame excuses why they weren't going to? Do you remember? And he says, okay, whatever. Go invite anybody who will come. Can I say it to you like this? Just because everybody doesn't take God's invitation, God doesn't cancel the banquet, friends. He says, for those who will walk on this way, there will be a highway, and the unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. They won't do it. But you know what? No lion's going to be there, or any ravenous beast. But only the redeemed. Only the redeemed. I can tell you, my friend, if you walk this way that most people will not, your sexuality is not going to leave you confused about your identity. It's not going to leave you feeling guilty and shameful and cheap and compromised. It's going to help you to understand the honorable, holy manner in which the Creator made you. Because, friends, listen, Jesus calls you into obedience despite your orientation, identity, your status you see I'm not inviting you today to live by a standard I'm inviting you to follow a person Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ says that if you will follow him regardless of your orientation or your identity regardless of whether you're gay or straight or you've gone down the road of trans if you'll bring yourself to him and live in obedience He will help walk you down that highway of holiness to what he knows is still available in your future. He'll do it. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, there are some of you, you are not here by accident today and it's a crossroads moment for you. You can decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But then you look at these sad words. God says, but you said you wouldn't. And I'm saying, walk that way even though others won't. You will be amazed what Jesus Christ will bring into and produce out of your life if you will Now, number four, these last two, we'll do this real fast. Number four is for a smaller group of you here, don't abdicate your role as a parent disciple maker. Listen, you are shaping young lives, and your kids, guess what? They're not your kids. They're God's kids. He's just loaned them to you for a while, and he's going to give you a couple of decades for you to point their feet back to him to live and honor him. Do not abdicate your role in that, buying into the stuff today that we need to just let our kids discover who they are and kind of go with that. You know what you get when you mix a crocodile with an abalone? A (laughs) crocabalone. You be the parent who teaches. Your daughter's... Here's what it means to be feminine. Here's what it means to be a young lady. That's something that the master designed for your identity. Here's what it means to be a young man. It means you'll live differently than a young woman lives, but but you'll live in honor of them because God says they're part of the image of God too, and you treat them with respect. Now, here is a truism. If you'll raise your children, you'll get to spoil your grandkids, but if you spoil your children with this poppycock being taught today, you're going to end up raising your grandchildren. And God says, I got something better in mind for them. So Joshua 24, 15. So good. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Because you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. That you be ready to say to your kids, you know what? We think differently than the other people around you because we love the Lord and we're living to honor Him. And we want to glory and praise to him and we do things differently because we're following Jesus number five don't neglect your calling as a reconciler not a fighter you know it's so easy when we talk about this stuff for us start thinking us and them you know it's a man those homosexuals out there who are doing this those horrible people who were pornographers you know, God has called us to love those people and to share His good news with them. And we're not fighters, we're to be lovers. In fact, I love this. I saw this on the internet. This expresses the feelings of so many. Look, if you go at that, I love every single some of you. Well, that's easy to do, isn't it? That's easy to say, is it not? But Jesus Christ says, No, guess what? I have called you to live at this juncture of history, not in 1950, but in 2021. And I want you to be my servants of reconciliation to help people who are broken. But you gotta love them. They're not the enemy. Evil is the enemy. Would you bow with me? some of you at the crossroads right now and I want to encourage you to say this in your heart to the Lord. You don't have to say it out loud, just say it in your heart. He's he's watched your heart. He's known your heart before you even had a heartbeat. Just say this to Him, God, I have messed up already and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. But God, my life on truth and I want to live for you. Lord would you help me it's hard today help me to live for you help me to live in the light and not the darkness come in and have your rightful place make me the person you want me to be and I will follow you